This morning's reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, starting at chapter 8, verse 19, continuing to chapter 9, verse 7, can be found on page 692 of the Pew Bible. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, will curse their king and their God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee and the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Before we come to the passage, uh, one thing I love about Christmas, which I'm very happy to admit to you all, is I I love the Christmas music. Um, We have to discipline ourselves in our household to keep Uh, wait till the 1st of December before we allow ourselves to play any Christmas songs. Uh, But once 1st September hits, um, I don't know if you know this, but Magic Radio plays non-stop Christmas for the whole of December. Uh, No other songs apart from Christmas songs. Some of you will be devastated, others of you will be getting back in the car after church and turning straight on uh, to Magic Radio. Magic Radio's on non-stop when we're in the car. Um, And so we love it. We love the old ones which come back Apparently, some people don't like the old ones so much. I don't know if you've ever heard of Whamageddon. Uh, Whamageddon is a social media game, apparently, where uh, you try and avoid the Wham song last Christmas until Christmas Eve. That's the time you're allowed to listen to it. Up to then, you just try and avoid it at all costs. I was reading this week about um, a man who's in charge of the PA system at a professional football ground. Uh, decided to have some fun and played last Christmas at half-time and knocked 7,000 people out of the game straight away, uh, which he thought was fun, and then he got abuse on social media for it uh, because some people take it seriously 
so there's Whamageddon with some of the old hits. Uh, but also each year, you kind of have the new songs, people trying to break into the Christmas song market uh, by bringing out some new songs. A couple of years ago, uh, Ed Sheeran and Elton John joined up, teamed up to bring out a Christmas song. I was listening to it on the radio as I drove into church this morning. Here's a line from it. I know there's been pain this year, but it's time to let it go. Next year, you never know. You see something good that they recognize that it can be hard, that as we get to Christmas, people can look back and go, it's been a tough year. But, but how do they say Christmas helps you deal with the pain? What's the hope they give? Well, Christmas is just the time to let it go. And hey, as we look forward to next year, well, you just never know. There's the kind of hope that they hold out to the world that, well, deal with it by just letting it go and look to next year and you never know. Is that the best we've got as we come to Christmas? Is that the hope that we have, a kind of fingers crossed, well, let's look to next year and you just never know? Well, into the hurt and pain in Isaiah's time, into the hurt and pain that we might be feeling today, Isaiah says, no, there's a greater hope. There's a hope that's not just a fingers crossed where you just never know. There's a hope that is sure and certain. And he speaks about that hope here in Isaiah chapter 9 in the context of light. And yet he says to to know the light, to know the hope, to know all that it brings, to really get it, you've got to get the darkness. You've got to know how utterly dark it is. And so we're going to work through this passage, starting in chapter 8, because it helps us understand the darkness as we travel through it to see the wonderful light. So here's the first thing we see at the end of chapter 8, the darkness, an utter hopelessness. I wonder if you can remember back to uh, June 2018, and a a group of lads, a football team called the Wild Boars football team, uh, 12 boys aged between 11 and 16, their coach, after football training one afternoon, travel down to some caves in Thailand and go exploring, as they've done many times before after football training, and they travel in, walk into the cave. And as they're going into the cave, a storm comes, a storm so sudden and so extreme that it floods the entrance to the cave, and they're trapped inside. Nine days they spent in the cave. Nine days in absolute darkness, without food, experiencing lostness, hopelessness, fear, gloom. That's a bit of the picture that Isaiah wants us to see in, at the end of chapter 8. Did you see it in verse 22? The people see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They're thrust into utter darkness. What's making it so dark? Well, there's darkness all around them as they look. We heard last week a little bit about the context going on, that the people are are scared, are threatened by the surrounding superpower, the Assyrian army. And Isaiah has warned them that the Assyrian army is coming. They've seen Assyria overtake the countries around them, and it's coming to them. And a fear grips them. There's a gloom, a distress, a darkness, a lostness. 
It's all around them, verse 22. They look towards the earth, they see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They're thrust into utter darkness. Or 9 verse 2, they're living in the land of the shadow of death. Or as our footnote says, also known as the land of darkness. The people in Isaiah's day, they look around and all they see is darkness. And sadly, it's easy to see that today, isn't it? We look around at the world and we see conflict and oppression and pain and injustice. And maybe you feel like you look close to home inside and and you know a darkness, not knowing what the future might hold. A darkness as you look at the things that have happened. And yet Isaiah says he he wants to stress it's, it's not just darkness out there, it's not just the darkness around them, but it's something closer to home. There's a darkness in them. Chapter 9, verse 2. The people are walking in darkness. This kind of phrase, it's, it's talking about their very condition. It's in their very walk as someone who might limp because of an injury inside of them. So these people are walking in darkness. It's in them. Isaiah is saying that the darkness is it's deeper than just the things that are kind of out there. It's in here. And it can be so easy to kind of look out there and point out there and, and, and point the finger at the darkness around them. Isaiah says we need to do a closer examination. In the early 1900s, a a newspaper ran, um, it wasn't really a competition, but ran a a question to get responses from people as to what they think the answer to the question was. The question they posted uh, was, what is wrong with the world? (laughs) Feels like an apt question for today, maybe. But early 1900s, they asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And they wanted and expected people to write in with essay answers and what they thought, what their how they could put the finger on what was wrong with the world. One man, a, a man called G.K. Chesterton, an English author and philosopher, uh, he got in on the act, he wrote his response. And in the midst of these long essay responses, his was, in the body of his answer, two words. He simply said, what is wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And look, I don't think he's owning up to say, hey, all these problems around us, that's all me. I think he's onto something, though. I think he's recognizing that rather than just looking out there and pointing the finger and say, it's them, 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 he looks in the mirror and goes, it's me. There's something about me. There's something about us. And Isaiah says here, 700 years before Jesus, 2,000 years and 700 years before us. Things haven't changed. (laughs) Isaiah says there's a darkness of their own choosing. Verse 19, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Isaiah is saying they've turned their back on God and his word. And instead, they look to mediums, to spiritists, anything other than scripture. And Isaiah says, there's no light there. That way only leads to darkness. And so as a result, verse 21, they look upwards and they blame God. They curse God. 
They reject God. Verse 22, they look outwards and they see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. It's an utterly hopeless situation. Light is needed. And as I say, over 2,700 years ago, this was written, 2,700 years on, sadly not much has changed. People are walking in darkness. People have rejected God and his word. They look to other things for direction and meaning and, and look to the things of this, of this age, of this world, or they look to themselves. They're told, look inside of yourself. You can sort it all out. They're in darkness without God. And as a result, without hope. This darkness symbolizes a lack of hope. And Isaiah speaks into this darkness and he says, there's a light. There's a light that is hope. A hope of a better day to come. And yet, first of all, he says, you need to get the darkness. You need to know how dark the darkness is so that the light becomes all the more brighter. Martin Luther King Jr. said in his final ever speech, the world is all messed up, the nation is sick, trouble is in the land, confusion is all around, but only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. There is a deep darkness, and yet into this darkness a light shines all the more brighter. And so secondly, at the beginning of chapter 9, we see the light. Hope described. Here's the light, verse 1, that removes the gloom. Here's the light that dawns, verse 2. It's a light that changes everything. Like last week, we've got some place names in verse 1 of chapter 9, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. These are, are located in the northern kingdom, if you remember, in Israel or Ephraim, uh, not part of Judah, the area of Judah. These are the areas that would have fallen to Assyria. They've already fallen, and so the people of Jerusalem will look up and see that they've fallen, see fellow Israelites carried off into exile, and will wonder if there is any possibility of light to come. And yet Isaiah says, don't worry, that was in the past. And now... In the future, light is coming. And yet notice that even though Isaiah says it comes in the future, everything that he says will come, he speaks about in the past tense. He's so confident that it's going to happen. He speaks as if it's already happened. And this light brings hope and joy. Remember the um, boys stuck in the cave in Thailand? All they could do was sit in the darkness and wait for a whole week. And then it came, coming through the water, a light. A light shone and came out, and there were two divers who had come through the cave, emerging and had found them. And that light in the darkness brought everything they needed, the hope that was needed, the hope of that the days of darkness would end. The hope that they'd be able to get out of that cave into daylight and breathe fresh air. Just try and put yourself into the shoes of one of those boys. Sat there in darkness, waiting, wondering, and then seeing that light shining through the, 
through the water. The relief and utter joy they would have felt. Isaiah says this light that will come will bring hope and joy. In fact, he wants us to get that so much that did you notice in verse 3, four times he mentions joy. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. He talks about the joy of harvest, the joy of victory. Verses 4 and 5, he speaks about the joy of freedom and peace, a picture of war finally over, conflict finished, oppressor gone. Imagine the joy that will come to people civilians in the midst of conflict at the moment, when finally the oppressors are gone. Here is hope described. It's a light into our darkness. It's joy into our despair. It's freedom in our bondage. It's peace in our conflict. What hope, what joy, all because the light has come. And yet to remove that deep distress, that gloom, to bring that kind of hope and joy that never passes, this needs to be some light. This needs to be a powerful light. And so then finally, point three, at the end of our chapter, our passage this morning, Isaiah shows the cause. Hope explained the cause. And he says it's found in a baby. Verse six. For us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah says there's deep darkness and a light is needed, a light is coming to dispel the darkness, a a light that is able to dispel the kind of darkness in our passage that we see around the world, a light that can bring hope into hopelessness, joy and victory from a baby. And yet Isaiah says this is no ordinary baby. For unto us a child is given, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here is no ordinary baby. Here are four titles that are given to this baby. And notice in each of the four titles, two two parts to it. And in these two parts, you have a, a human element, and a divine element. Isaiah wants to show that here is a baby boy, totally human, and yet in this baby boy is totally God. And so though he's born as a child, he first is wonderful counsellor. Wonderful, this word is, it's the sense of the supernatural, in the sense of signs and wonders, not just wonderful as in, oh, that's nice, but supernatural. It's supernatural counsellor. Someone who guides, someone who comforts, someone who brings wisdom. Here is a child who is going to speak the very words of God, who will bring us the very wisdom of God, who will speak words that bring life and light. Part of the darkness that we can live in in our society is is we're kind of lost and we're looking for direction And we look for words and wisdom this way and that way for direction and truth. We ask ourselves, what is truth? Can truth be found? This child 
is wonderful counselor, wisdom and truth from God. He is mighty God. It's, it's mighty. It's, it's the power and the strength attributed to kings. And yet this is God himself. One who is mighty and strong and powerful enough to defeat our enemies. Notice the wonder of those two first titles put together. So often in society we can have those who are wise, but maybe not the power or influence or authority to do anything with it. Or sadly we have those who are powerful and have the authority, and yet maybe lacking the wisdom we'd love them to have. Here in this child, we have both together. We have one who, has one, who is our wonderful counselor, the wisdom of God, and is powerful to do something with it. Isaiah goes on, it's the, he is the everlasting father. Don't worry, not kind of confusing the Trinity here, but giving a picture of who this son is and what this son will bring. A bring the, an example, show the, the relationship of intimacy. That our God is, is not just remote and distant, but he's close and he's connected. This child will show and reveal the wonderful fatherly care of God himself. Darkness can bring loneliness and isolation. All of us long to be, to be loved and cared for, and sadly, so many of us will know imperfect fathers. And yet, this child shows us the perfect love and care of a father. All of us may have known love that then ended up disappointing us or just run out, and yet, this child brings us everlasting fatherly love and care. A love that is perfect and never ends. And finally, Isaiah says, he is the prince of peace. This child will bring peace, not just a kind of, yeah, things are all right at the moment, but this Hebrew word shalom, a way of life, a contentment in life, a peace, a relationship restored with those around us, but greater than that, a relationship restored with God himself. How we long for peace in our world. And so Christmas helps us to look forward and to remember the coming of this child. A child who, as he grew up, as we've seen over this term, as we've been in Mark's Gospel, who taught as no one else did. People were amazed at his teaching as he brings the wisdom of God. A child who showed incredible power the people marveled at his power over creation and illness. A child who showed compassion and kindness. No one has ever loved like Jesus has loved. And yet, it was that love that took him to the cross, where he made peace for us, where he was literally plunged into darkness so that we might know the light. And yet, whilst we look back to that first Christmas and Jesus has come, as we've already seen this morning, the world around us is still dark. <laughs> There's still plenty of darkness around us. 
And so we see how these promises and how Jesus comes is, 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 is almost a, a now and not yet. How in our Advent time, we are left waiting for the coming of Jesus in his second coming. They help point us to when Jesus will come again. Do you see the rest of the description in verse 7? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus will come and he will reign as king forever. A reign marked with perfect justice. Everything about his rule will be absolutely right. Where oppression will be gone, all injustice, exploitation, insecurity, corruption eradicated. Only light and joy. A time when we will know his wonderful wisdom where we will see his mighty strength, where we will feel his fatherly love, where we will experience his perfect peace. One writer summarizes these verses verses beautifully. He says, look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. And as the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we were still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. And how will it happen? Well, it's almost easy to miss the rest of verse 7 over the page. Forget it's almost there. How will it happen? Well, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will will accomplish this. Not by anything that we do, (laughs) not by our own efforts, but because of the zeal, the intense love of God towards his people. It's all wonderful, wonderful grace. In the 90s film, Shawshank Redemption, great film, one of my favorites. There's a moment in it where the main character, uh, Andy Dufresne, speaks about hope. And he challenges the other prisoners and he says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Maybe he's on to something. Because the hope of the Christian faith is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and it never dies. So will we come to the light? Will we fall on our knees before the king? Will we listen to the words of our wonderful counsellor? Will we trust in his mighty power to save? Will we look to him for comfort and care? And will we trust his death to know the peace that he brings? Isaiah says there is joy and peace and hope because of the light that has come. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but you have shone a light into the darkness. And into that light comes a child who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Thank you for King Jesus. 
Thank you that we can look back at this time to the very first Christmas, but thank you that we can look forward to Jesus' coming again, where we will see all those things in its beautiful fulfillment. And so help us to trust and help us to know that hope that will never end. In Jesus' name, amen.